Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my. It's just another night for supernatural girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and I'm here with my two fabulous co-hosts, PK, Patricia Kirkman, and George Lugo, and we have got a spooky show for you tonight. The night before Halloween, we have the perfect story and the perfect guest, the horrors of Clark's Hollow Farm, and we have the property owner here with us tonight. We are going to hear from Robert Graves all about this story from beginning to end. At least we're going to be brought up to date because all of what's happening at Fox Hollow Farm continues to this day. So again, welcome everybody. And PK, what do you have for us? Numerology is, uh, we need to rely on you because the world is kind of crazy. So what what kind of advice do you have? And were you able to look at the Fox Hollow Farm numbers? Well, firstly, we're in major doo-doo. We are in retrograde, people. And it's it started on the 31st of October till the 20th of November. So anything to do with communications and anything of that nature is going to be creating There's going to be delays, communi- computers, telephones, electronics of all types. All of that's going to give us some unexpected troubles and problems. Not a good time to start anything new or to sign, especially sign any legal documents. And any type of paperwork, be very careful of what you put out there. It's not a good time to purchase expensive items, make plans to marry or anything like that, because this is the downside of things. But on top of that, we are going into our five personal months, or universal month, I should say, which deals with major changes. There's a luck factor that goes with it, but we're bumped to bump with the retrograde. So unless you're born in a retrograde, all the rest of us better hang on to our backsides because we're <laughs> right there waiting to get a swift kick in the back part. Oh, boy. So that's what's going on right now. So be very careful, particularly driving in anything of that nature because anything to do with speed or things of that nature are going to be up for grabs. And considering the fact that it's in a retrograde, things are going to be going negatively. So we all have to be a lot more careful of that, especially little ones going out Halloweening and such as that. God, make sure that they're really well protected because this is not a good time for anybody out and about like that. Just something to be cautious of. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people now are doing neighborhood parties at somebody's house rather than doing the door-to-door thing, and I think that's a lot safer. So good advice, PK. Definitely a lot safer. But everything is up in the air right now, and I do mean up in the air. But there is no parachute that's going with things this month. 
okay? We're just going to have to hang on. And think about the fact that the month is all about major changes, good to bad, bad to good, but change nonetheless. And the usual part of this, I was, we've got a luck factor going with it, but how can you be lucky in the midst of all this negativity? Just a thought. Surviving the negativity, probably. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So we're in free fall. We we really are. And I took a look at the name of the gentleman that that owned the property and wrote the book. Both of them are investigators all of their lives. They're always looking on the other side of things. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they put things together because they don't miss anything. That's really our... Our gift is getting to read what they put together. Excellent. It is a great book. It's a really well-done book. I couldn't put it down, and I highly recommend it. I know we all do because it's a fascinating story, and the guys did a great job with it. Oh, they did, and both of them are excellent. They both are very concerned about the big picture, and both of them are very good investigators. So we we benefit from their gift to us by what they put together here. Yes, well, that's good. Well, we're going to have him on in just a few minutes and tell us all about it because it's very, very fascinating. Oh, so a couple of announcements. Uh, we also have on November 16th from 11 to 6, a workshop given by Itzhak Berry, who is a shaman. He's going to be teaching us shamanistic divination techniques, most specifically candle reading. So if you are interested in learning this, then do contact me. We have a few spaces left. It's only $80 for the entire day with Itzhak. We've got a great group showing up for this. So make sure that you get in touch with me. My email is on supernaturalgirls.com, the website, or you can message me on Facebook. Either way. We also have our candles on sale on our website, supernaturalgirls.com. And some great stories, as usual, on our Facebook page. So be sure to make a, a stop over there. We've got some UFO videos and all kinds of fun stuff. And just go ahead and give us a like and a follow on Facebook and Twitter. So, again, tonight we've got a great guest. And we just lost George, but hopefully he'll be back in a minute. They're having some very big storms down in Florida. So I'm hoping he'll be able to get back on the line because... George is a very famous psychic medium, and we want his insight about Fox Hollow Farm and all of what's gone on there. It's got quite the history. So as soon as George gets back on, we'll we'll pull him into the conversation. So did you also do the numbers of the, the name Fox Hollow Farm, PK? Yeah, I took a look at things. And the, the thing is, it's all about family-type things. The major push in this deals with family, but in a negative way. And oh. yeah, I was quite surprised because all the numbers are very low except the number six, which deals with home and family and wanting things to be perfect. And that six, you think about the way it, it's laid out, the uh, three sixes become a nine, don't they? Hmm. Endings of just a thought. Very I was looking interesting. at it. Uh, it's got to have something there that wasn't pulled out. There's something more coming from this, and I can't put my finger on what it is. Hopefully as the conversation proceeds, I 
I might be able to pick up something more on this. But uh, definitely has left, uh, shall we say, a gap for a lot of people that work with this because they're looking for a perfection that doesn't exist. And females seem to be an issue. Sensitivity is an issue. Females and or spirituality both create a problem here. And those two Mm. problems also become a nine, which is universal. So there's some major, major things taking place. that all. I, I don't know if it's the land or the property itself that has something on it. It's almost like you feel like you want to uh, rub your hands together. There's something missing or needs to be uplifted there. Huh. Well, let's see what we can dig into. So let me introduce this to our audience. So the horrors of Fox Hollow Farm. Now, this was featured in the hit sci-fi series Paranormal Witness, and I, I urge you to also watch that. Buy the book and also watch the television show about it. They did a great job on Fox Hollow Farm, which is the infamous Indiana property where Herb Baumeister, who was a serial killer, allegedly murdered at least 11 men. So it has a grim past and unsettling presence, presence and presence. <laughs> So we're going to talk tonight to Robert Graves, who is the owner of the property with his wife, and he has two children also that have lived there and I think may still be living there. And we're going to hear about the original criminal investigation as well as the perspectives of the man who survived Herb's attempt uh, attempt on his life. So anyways, no more talking from me. we got to hear from our guests. This is a great story. Welcome, Robert Graves, to the show. Uh, thank you for having me. Well, it's our pleasure. Now, this is, again, an amazing story. I, I'm sure it's the last thing you ever expected in your life. Well, that, that's true. Uh, when we initially looked at the property, our our thought process was we would just try to forget what happened here and and move on, but we seem to be drugged down a different path. Yeah. <laughs> now, you were looking forward to moving more out into the country. Is that what drew you out into <clears throat> Carmel? Well, we, uh, we've we always had horses, and we were looking for a property where we could keep the horses as well as live. And we came across it in a multiple listing, and uh, we decided to go look at it. Uh, I didn't know at the time the history, but when we got there, or got here, uh, it, it was odd. There was the, the gate was chained shut, the grass was four feet tall, and clearly no one was living there. And this is a, it's a very desirable area of, of town. We're about 15 miles north of Indianapolis. It's a, uh, you know, it doesn't make sense that no one would be living here. So at that point, I asked the realtor what was going on, and at that point, they're they're compelled, I think, legally to tell you, and he said, do you remember the story? And I said, well, yeah. He said, well, this is the house. So at that point, we had to make a decision. Do we just leave right now, or or do yeah, we go really. ahead and take a look at it? Yeah. So. And it so was we, your uh, wife we, who said, let's go for it, right? Let's take a look? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, she said, "Oh, we're here. We might as well look at it." And it is a—it's a beautiful property, and we—I guess we—we we saw the potential. But you know, it's—the it's, history is such that 
and we had smaller children. They were small, younger at the time, and didn't know how how that history would affect affect them. Yeah, but and, she I was mean, the he, primary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she that, was I the mean, primary. you not only had to contend with the history of the property, but also a lot of people who, you know, basically wanted to sneak onto the property and check it out for their own curiosity. That's true. The the property was vacant for about five years before we got here, and there was a the owner that owned the property at the time never lived there for here. And he had a caretaker sort of guy, but didn't do much caretaking. And he would let people in, apparently, or or wouldn't say anything. So when we moved in, I think a lot of the public believed it was still vacant. And we would get a lot of visitors, uh, uninvited visitors. Yeah, right. Not ones you wanted. Right, right. We uh, in Hollywood they would call them looky loos, or you know, these serial killers have a it's sort of macabre, but they have a following. And these people, of course, a lot of people are just curious and want to see where things happen. Um, and this just happens to be one of those places. Wow. So here you are uh, on the property. Now you decide to go ahead and buy it. You actually make an offer, and it's. It's a, a very right. low-balled offer, but it's accepted, right? <laughs> well, not initially. Um, the, the property was, was listed at, at very expensive. It, uh, if it had not been a stigmatized property or what the realtors call psychologically impacted, the asking price was, was in line with where it should have been. But given the history and given the, the condition – uh, we, we and it didn't appear that anyone was making any offers. We we did get him pretty low, which he promptly uh, rejected. But he did come down. Um, but this went on for about three years. It took three years to buy the property to get to where he. You know, I felt we couldn't get hurt financially. Meaning, mm-hmm. if if I had to bulldoze everything, the house, the barn, and everything. We were into it for what we felt the land was worth. Wow. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. No. So we 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 uh, it was a deal. I mean, if if you if you want to think of it in those terms, um, it's still very very expensive, but um, it, it was a deal given what we. If you don't factor in the history, you know, right? Because history. this is. The way you described it in the book, I mean, it just sounded absolutely incredible with the paneled study and the antique fireplaces, yeah. the uh, chandeliers yeah. imported from Italy. I mean, they didn't spare any expense when this was first built in the 70s. That's true. Uh, the house was built in the 19th, well, it took about a year to build, but built between 76 and 77 by a, uh, a local doctor for his wife. And we, I still see her uh, well, at least once or twice a year, and she told me that the house was built with no budget, and uh, she put the best of everything in, and that's that's really why it's still standing. There's a lot of places where people die, hospitals, nursing homes, but there are very few places left standing where this many people were murdered. And right. if, if you could see the house, you would understand why it's still here. No one could really 
stand to get tear it down. You know, it's a gorgeous property. You have lovely pictures in your book, and mm-hmm. it is it's yeah. an outstanding house. Beautiful. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So yes, so is. things things started pretty quickly, right? Well, we were here about a year, and. Uh, I had a young guy that worked for us at work, and he needed a place to live. And I, I said, well, we have this in-law we call in-law quarters, or it's an apartment which is attached to the house, and it has a full kitchen, separate entrance. I said, you know, you could live there. So Joe moved in about after about a year after we we got here, and things were pretty quiet until my wife, you know, hollers. I was painting on the back of the house, and she hollers up to me and said, there's a man in the woods in a red shirt. And, of course, I get down off the ladder thinking it's another one of these looky-loos, you know, just a person snooping around. And I said, I asked her, where is he? She said, well, he's he's gone. I said, well, where did he go? She said, well, I didn't tell you, but that's the second time I've seen it. And I mm. said, saw what? She said, over by these trees, there's a guy in a red shirt. She said a very uh, short crew marine style haircut walking away and she thought to herself he's going to hurt himself walking into that tree and literally disappeared. But he, he had no legs but she would say it was sort of see-through from the waist down. And this is unusual for your wife because she is a scientist. So this <laughs> is not some, something she would easily... Uh, no, recount no. to anybody. No, uh, I've been married a long time. We've been married 35 years. I think at that time we'd married maybe 25, but she, she never told me anything like that before. And she has a very even personality. She's not dramatic at all. And she just told me very matter-of-factly, very reluctantly, that this is what she had seen. And I think at the time I made a joke or something. It was you know, a pretty crazy thing to say. But she said, well, I'm just telling you what I saw. And, uh, uh, you know, that's that's what she said. Oh, my God. So when she told you this, what did you think? Well, I, I didn't know what to think, honestly. Now, uh, Joe, the young man that had moved in, he gets on the Internet and finds out that a paranormal group – had come to this house, uh, unbeknownst to the owner, but this caretaker I told you about would let people in. Well, this uh, paranormal researcher or investigator had put a little blurb on the Internet about Box Hollow Farm, and there was a phone number attached to it. So I, I called the guy, and I said, uh, you know, we live here now. I said, did, did you find anything while you were here? And... He says, yeah. He said, that's one of the most haunted houses in Indiana. I said, what are you talking about? He says, well, oh haven't you seen anything? I said, well, I I haven't. I said, my wife saw something. He said, let me tell you what she saw and where she saw it. This is on the telephone. He said, you look out your master bathroom window to the west side of the property. There's a group of three trees. She saw a guy in a red shirt with no legs. Oh, oh my God. And <laughs> I said, uh, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what she saw. Oh boy! So at that point, yeah, at that point, he he says, uh, "Well, look, uh, we would love to come out and do a full investigation for you at no cost and, and confidential." 
And at that point, I, I just said, you know, we're we're not really interested in that. I, I was just curiosity more than anything. And you know, as I said, we were trying to move on from this history and not keep bringing it up. Right. Because it it's, it hurt the property value significantly. And I thought, well, we'll just forget. We just won't talk about it, and property value will go up, and we'll all walk off into the sunset. But yeah. uh, <laughs> things just kept happening. And uh, so uh, about six months after that initial call, this guy called me back and said, hey, uh, we have a paranormal conference here in Indianapolis downtown, and I have people from the History Channel, the Travel Channel, and the Sci-Fi Channel here, and we would love to come up and do an investigation for you, but it has to be this week. And I said, I don't know. I I agreed to it. I said, okay, fine. So – that week, my wife had gone to Colorado for a medical conference, and I called her, and I said, uh, hey, uh, the Ghostbusters are coming out on Saturday night. You'll be back. And at that point, she says, well, good. Maybe they'll pick up on what I pick up on. Oh, good. Once again, I have to, once again, I have to ask, what are you talking about? <laughs> and she says, well, there's, there are two, well, there's a place in the house I don't like to go. And I said, where? And she said, well, I don't want to tell you because you'll tell them. I said, well, no, I I won't. I promise. So once again, very reluctantly, she tells me, your bathroom in front of the closet. She doesn't Mm. like going in there. I said, what's what's wrong? She said, just something tells me I shouldn't go in there. The hair stands up on the back of my neck. She said, it's almost like a brick wall. She said, something doesn't want her in there. So I said, okay, fine. So that Saturday, this group comes to the house. There's about 30 people. And I recognized some of them from some of the television shows. Mm -hmm. And three three psychics came. Now, I've never talked to a psychic in my life. Uh, I've talked to many since, but at that point, I'd never talked to one. And they came into the house, introduced themselves. There was a woman her son, who was about 18, and then there was an older gentleman, and they all claimed to be psychics. So they're introducing themselves, and immediately the woman that was the psychic points to the top of our stairs in the entryway and says, there's a male spirit just glaring at us. He's not happy we're here. And, of course, I don't see it. And then her son, who is 18, motions to the west side of the house and says, there's a room in this house for a man. Of course, my bathroom. He says, I oh. want to see this room. Yeah. So to, to sum all this up, uh, this went on till early in the morning, this investigation. And uh, finally, uh, very late, we, we I could ask questions. Now, I wasn't allowed to narrate or give any sort of history. And supposedly, they were all from out of town, and they did not know where they were. They were just told they were going to a surprise investigation. Oh, okay. They told me very specific things uh, about the killer, about the victims, about the case. But, of course, all this is on the Internet, so it's it's fairly well known. There's even a book written in 1997, uh, fairly good book, pretty accurate. So I wasn't convinced. It was all a little too – they knew too much, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was a little 
corny, I guess I'd say. So, so you were so, feeling kind of skeptical. Very skeptical. I and what I can never really figure out in my own mind is why do people want to come here and tell me things that I already know? <laughs> they never ask for anything. They they don't ask for anything. They they just I I just I I don't, I don't understand it, but. So they leave, and about oh a few days after that, one of the investigators here gave me her card, and we had talked a little bit that night, and, and she seemed like she was on the level. What I would, she, she, she even sort of admitted to me. She said, "Yeah, they, it's, they knew too much." And I said, "Well, do you know anyone that could come up here that maybe doesn't know too much?" And she said, "Yes, I believe there's a psychic." Uh, in a town not far from Indianapolis, and I believe this this woman would not know the story. So I asked if she could come up. So the following Saturday, a lady named Myrna came up to the house. She was in her 60s, jet black hair, probably American Indian or had some American Indian ancestry. And she said, what do you want me to do? I said, just walk around. And so she walked around the house for about 20 minutes, didn't say much, and then she said, I'm drawn to the backyard. I said, okay, that's fine. She walked out the front door, walks around the house, and she walks directly to the spot where the killer had burned some bones. Oh the police turned it to the burn pile. Now, it just looks like woods now. It's, it's, it's been so long that it's, you, you would never know that anything had happened there. And she stood there for about five minutes, and she said, I see fire. Not that you're going to have a fire. The fire already happened. And she said, and the word she used was entombment. She said, I think people are buried here. And I didn't validate anything. I said, okay, that's okay. So we came back in the house, and she sat down at the table, and I said, Myrna, what's going on here? She said, well, I took some notes on the way here my, and called on my spirit guide. And on a writing tablet, she had written the letters M.M. And I said, what's M.M.? She said, mass murder. She said, people were killed here, a lot of people. And then she said, there's at least four spirits in the house. And then she said, your bathroom. Oh, my goodness. All right. Uh, All right, Myrna. What's wrong with my bathroom? You don't like it. My wife doesn't like it. These other people didn't like it. She said, your bathroom is a portal. And, of course, I have to ask what that is. She said, a portal? (laughs) I never never heard heard of this. She said, uh, well, a portal is an area in the house where the spirits come and go from this world where we are to wherever they're – and she described it as being stuck. She said, people that die sometimes and die violently don't know they're dead, and they get trapped between this world where we are. And wherever they're supposed to go. And she said that when they do something that we can see or hear, they're in our world. But then at other times, they're somewhere else. So the bathroom, uh, I don't feel anything when I go in there. But my wife to this day just, just refuses to go in there. No kidding. So she really has a strong reaction to that room. Yes, I mean I've heard several theories. Uh, one that makes a, a little bit of sense, at least to me, is the fact that the killer, uh, the alleged killer, 
was very manipulative. He, you know, he got away with this for a long, long time on a property with children, with a wife that he'd been married to for 25 years. So how do you do that? Well, you manipulate a lot of things. Um, without going into too much detail about their relationship, it was odd. Uh, just one little bit. She, she had never seen him naked in 25 years of marriage. So oh, nice. he probably <laughs> he probably told her, just, you don't even need to go in my bathroom. Stay out of my bathroom. And he, it may be that he doesn't want a woman in that bathroom. I, I don't know. That's just one theory. But so, well, um, tell us now a little bit more about this man, uh, Mr. Baumeister, because he is the alleged murderer, the serial killer, and there's also speculation that he killed many more than 11 men on this property and on and other places. Because it, according to what you were writing in the book, right. there were other right. men that were killed off the property before uh, this started on the property. So. Oh my goodness! This is uh, this is truly a an experienced serial killer. Whoever did this, and we're thinking it's him. So tell us a little bit more about Correct. him. Correct. Sure. Well, from 1980 to 1991, young gay men from Indianapolis bars were disappearing. Uh, during that time, they were the bodies were being found between Indianapolis and Columbus, Ohio. All along I-70, all strangled, all from bars in downtown Indianapolis, gay bars in downtown Indianapolis. Well, all of that stopped in 1991, which coincides when he bought this farm. So the theory is that he now has a place to dump them. Uh, the body, they, they, the men continue to disappear. Uh, he did have a two businesses here in town. And his wife said that he did go to Ohio over 100 times in that time period. So he was traveling in that direction. He sure was. The police will tell you. Yeah, the police will tell you that's who did those killings. If if you add in the those killings with what they believe happened here, it could be as many as 50. Um, but. He, wow. This is all. It's all. The police will tell you that's who did it. Um, you know, I, I. This is all alleged. You know, he was never tried. He was never even really questioned about any of this. So it's all speculation. But, you know, he was sort of his own judge, jury, and executioner. And why would you do that if you, if you were not guilty? Exactly, and so uh, over this period of time, also when they, the police never really, like you mentioned, they this thing dragged on. The police never questioned him, um, really. I mean, they asked him a couple of questions, and right. they said he acted scared and concerned, but never admitted to anything, and wouldn't let them right. search the property. But then uh, that's true. Yeah, things changed. Yeah, they. Uh... Yes, they. After the gay community put enough pressure on the Indianapolis Police Department to try to do something, they they went to the gay community and said, "Does anyone know anything?" And one guy raised his hand and said, "There's a guy in we live in Hamilton County, Hamilton County, strangling people." And they said, "Okay, where does he live?" 
He said, well, I was only there once. It was at night. It, it's up north of Indianapolis, and it's called Something Farms. But that really wasn't enough to go on. So they said if he ever comes in the bar again, get his license number. So he, of course, came back to the bars, and they got his license number, and it came back to, of course, our address here. So they go to him at his place of business, and they say, we, uh, we believe you're involved with these disappearances. We want to search your property. And at that point, he lawyers up, as the police say, and he hires a lawyer, a very high-profile defense lawyer here in town. And, of course, they, were, they did not cooperate, so they, they did, they, he would, they would not allow him to come onto the property. Um, so they just didn't have any evidence other than one person's uh, word that this was going on. And there was a real reluctance to believe this was going on in a uh, nice, affluent area of town. Even when the yeah, bodies exactly. were being found here, <laughs> even when these bodies are being found here, there's a reluctance to believe. They, the prosecutor who was here said this could be an Indian burial ground. So oh, even exactly. as they're standing with with bones at their feet, this could be an Indian burial. So there was a real reluctance. To believe this, so it, it was uh, it was sad in that regard because um, they were being fed tips for years, and the police that is, and and they were never really doing much with it. And you know, one of the questions I have that I don't know if it can ever be answered, Robert, is the man that you call Tony in the book that did get the license plate number and who had been to Fox Hollow Farm with Baumeister from the gay bar, um, he was right. strangled but feigned going unconscious, and he wasn't killed. And then he talked about actually having several more encounters with Baumeister, and he, was not, he wasn't one of the murder victims, which is kind of strange. I mean, he certainly didn't hesitate to kill everybody else that he brought out there. Right. Um this person, uh, Tony, um, I actually have met him you know, many times, actually, um, is a large person. He's about 6'7". Now, wow. whether that had anything to do with it or not is is up for debate. But the, the official story that he gave was that he was only out here one time. That's the story the FBI has. That's the story the police have. But – and. He told us this relationship went on for longer than that. So I, I I don't know what to make of that relationship, but clearly it was not killer victim as the others were. Yeah, and and then some of the neighborhood boys knew where the bones were in the creek. And that's true. Uh, yes. Yeah. They said it was like an yeah. explosion of bones. I mean, there were so many. Right. When when his wife allowed them onto the property while he was away at they had a lake condo uh, north of Indianapolis. He was up there with his son. She called her lawyer and says, I, I want to talk to the police. She said, I found a skeleton in 1994, and this is 96 that uh, she allowed them onto the property. And she said her, 
the killer very quickly dismissed it as his father's anatomical skeleton. His father was an anesthesiologist, and he says it's, it was in the garage. I don't know how it got in there or out there. I'll get rid of it. He said, I went out a week later and it was gone, but that was always in the back of her mind. Well, in the summer of 96, his behavior was becoming so bizarre even for her that she called her lawyer and says, I want to talk to the police. And, of course, when they got here, they, she tells them about this skeleton. They said, show us where you found it. And she took him out the back door, about 50 feet off the back of the house. And uh, she said, it was right here. They start looking around, and there are bones everywhere. Oh, my God. Teeth. And at that point, she says, go get my son. And our police department up here uh, drove up to the condo, didn't ask him any questions, said, your mother wants you back. Come with us. Herb stayed, the killer stayed there, and uh, they brought the son back. And, of course, the first question that his wife had is, where is he? Yeah. He said, and then he said, well, look, uh, we, we don't know what we have here. This could be oh an, a burial ground, Indian burial ground. Um, and, in, in fact, they, they did tell me that had they grabbed him at that time, Indiana has a speedy trial law where you have to be brought to trial within 70 days. They said he would ask for a speedy trial, and we just didn't have the evidence. And had they grabbed him, he probably would have walked. So they just wanted to see what they had. And unfortunately, he got wind of it through a detective's uh, girlfriend who worked for a local news station, and she sort of blabbed it to the media. Uh, he sees it on television, goes to Canada, and kills himself. Mm. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I mean, it just yeah. didn't. They, it just is so many things here that seem to have fallen through the cracks with the police, because, like you said, they had tips <laughs> all the way down the line, and yet yeah. they didn't seem to follow up much uh, on much of anything. Well, the the young man and the men that were missing were, as the police described, drifters, drug addicts, male mm-hmm. prostitutes, and unfortunately, uh, no one cared. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until Tony brought this to light, and a couple of the fam- missing men's families had hired a private detective. And, the, you know, the story... People have always said if these were blonde co-eds from Indiana University, there would have been a lot more done about it. But Probably unfortunately, true. These, were, <laughs> these people were, they termed, living at the margin of society. And Indianapolis is a pretty conservative town. And uh, frankly, no one was caring too much, unfortunately. What a shame. Oh, my goodness. So this guy was literally getting away with murder. Uh, doing these kinds of things, and we're going to take a very short commercial break and come back, and and we're going to talk more about some of the paranormal events that you've experienced, and I also want to ask you about any occult symbols you may have found or anybody may have picked up on, um, because this is so strange. Now, we do know that he may have been diagnosed as schizophrenic as a child, right? Right. His father uh, had him committed uh, shortly after he was married to um, 
uh, a mental hospital here in Indianapolis. Uh, I, I don't know what was the, the, the trigger for that, but um, that is, I don't know where that information, how, how, how accurate that is, but that is what everyone's been led to believe. Okay. All right. Well, again, the plot thickens and, We are going to take a very short break. Stay tuned, everybody. You are listening to Supernatural Girls Radio, and we will be right back. Pure essential oils, specialized minerals, and a revolutionary anti-aging technology. Astridium combines the best of all scientifically proven ingredients in easy-to-use creams, lotions, and concentrated serums. Astridian's advanced line of products take your skin to a new level of being healthy and beautiful. We offer a variety of collections that address all your skin concerns. The Essential Anti-Aging Series treats and moisturizes your skin for a long-lasting, younger look. The Multivitamin Series promotes healthy skin with high-quality vitamins and minerals. The Sports Series restores skin from cellular damage and stress. Astridian also offers a revitalizing solution for hair and a professional series for doctors and medical spas. Visit astridian.love today and begin your new journey to healthy, beautiful, youthful skin. Astridian, beyond your expectations. There are a lot of psychics out there. How do you decide which one is right for you? You look for someone who empowers you, who's practical and spiritually connected, who says, here are your opportunities, here are your challenges, and here's a way to deal with them, and then gives you your own toolbox to make your life everything you want it to be. Hi, I'm Corby Mitleide, and that's how I work with you. As a certified professional tarot reader, I've helped thousands of people for over 40 years through my toolbox. Cards, past life retrieval, numerology, spirit guide conferences, and mediumship. Whether it's career, relationships, finances, or your spiritual road, together we can replace your confusion with clarity. And you'll probably find a little laughter along the way. Visit me at CorbyMitlai.com to find out how to cross your bridge from fear to fearlessness and fly. And tell me you found me at Supernatural Girls for a special gift with your reading. Corby Mitlai. The practical psychic for catching your tomorrows today. Find me at CorbyMitlide.com. That's CorbyMitlide.com. Are you ready for a new experience of freedom and powerful connection? Would you like a positive, effortless change in your life? Then come to CosmicFusion.com, where we offer the most advanced energy clearing and expansion techniques in the world with a quantum vortex energy to activate your divine blueprint and life's purpose. When your soul leads the way with cosmic fusion and quantum vortex energy, you can break clear of past difficulties and blocks with the power of the source. With cosmic fusion, the source energy does the work for you. It's easy and effortless. Listen to our free meditation right from our Cosmic Fusion website, the Cosmic Code Meditation. Sign up for one of our interactive webinars today. Come to Cosmic Fusion, www.kosmicfusion.com to experience an effortless awakening and transformation. Are you ready for an upgrade? Are you ready for a new experience? 
of living in the fifth dimensional magic and powerful connection? Then visit CosmicFusion.com today. CosmicFusion.com Your property tax bill. Have you seen it lately? It's frightening. Your property taxes are going up while your home value is going down. It's time to fight back and win. For the real truth about the property tax system, get attorney Pat Quintilian's book, Are You Getting Screwed on Your Property Taxes? How to Find Out and How to Fix It. Attorney Quintilian answers all your questions and gives you the facts you need to fight a property tax bill that is spiraling out of control. You'll also read about what happens to property owners who don't check their property records, only to find out too late they're taxed on square footage, fixtures, and even buildings that they don't own. Is this happening to you? Learn your rights. Buy Attorney Pat Quintilian's book today. Are you getting screwed on your property taxes? How to find out and how to fix it. Available on Amazon.com. Are you frustrated with endless mantras, affirmations, and processes that promise to align your life with your dreams only to find yourself years later in the same space where you began? Do you feel like you must be doing something wrong because nothing seems to be working? Don't you just wish that someone could shift your consciousness for you and your life could align with your desires without all the effort? Well, your wish is about to come true. Hi, I'm Carrie Cannon, and I have a gift that allows me to align the consciousness of others to be in harmony with their dreams. The best part is, it requires no particular effort on your part. Upon listening to a consciousness alignment, people have reported instant energy shifts, financial windfalls, soulmate connections, healed relationships, physical healings, and more. To gain access to a free trial offer for my entire Manifesting Miracles library of consciousness alignments, go to commandmiracles.com now for details. Again, that's commandmiracles.com for information about our free trial offer. That's commandmiracles.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. I am here with my co-host, Patricia Kirkman, PK, who you can find at patriciakirkman.com and also on supernaturalgirlswithaz.com. And we lost George Lugo. Sorry, he got bumped off the air. They're having storms in Florida. He's still trying to get back in. We'll see if he joins us later in the show. And we have a great guest tonight. We have Robert Graves, who is one of the authors of The Horrors of Fox Hollow Farm, a great spooky book. And also, um, again, Robert, we are so interested to hear the rest of the story because you are the owner of the property, and you're still living there with your wife. Are your two children still living there as well? Yes, uh, they're they're in college, but they do come back when they're not at school. But uh, yes, we're still here. Great. So now all of this history. I'm sorry, PK. Go ahead. I was going to say how fascinating to be going through all this and to be able to uh, come back and see how it's changing over the years. Right. Um, you know the. We do have a, a fellow, a medium that does come around pretty regularly, and he's, tell, he's told us that the activity has subsided from the very first time he was here, maybe five, six years ago. 
but mm-hmm. um, the, the aura seems to be changing a little bit. That's good. I was going to say that. That's got to be a good feeling. <laughs> well, it's um, uh, we you know maybe some of the spirits have moved on. Um, we're not sure, but there's definitely at least according to the the, the psychics that come here now versus when they came here originally 10 or 12 years ago, they'll tell you it, it's quieter. That's good. Now, numerous, excuse me, Patricia. Uh, I was going to say, you mentioned numerous times about thinking it was an Indian burial ground. And the question is, has it been proven that that has been a possibility anywhere along the line, or is it strictly from what has taken place due to the murders? Well, the the area that we lived in was inhabited by the Miami Indians. Uh-huh. And we have found arrowhead, Indian arrowheads and things like that, which is not uncommon in Indiana. But this area, our property, at least according to this one medium that we're, uh, we see pretty regularly, uh, is has a lot of Native American spirits on it. And they mm-hmm. were run off this land. And they, in his terms, were not happy about that. And uh, he says there there are quite a few Native American spirits spirits on the land. Accommodation, but not negative ones, right? They're not negative. No, no, and, and nothing that's ever happened here has been what we would term negative. Uh, even my wife Vicky, who saw sees the man in the red shirt says that it's it's a, a calming she when she sees it, it, it there's almost a calm comes over her almost like she was meant to see it mm-hmm. um and then the activity i guess would be termed more poltergeist in nature mm-hmm. it's just periodically they do things to to let us know they're here um what you might ask they they move things from one end of a shelf to another pretty regularly um they unplug the sweeper for some reason. The, they don't like sweeping. They'll pull the sweeper right over the wall, and oh then my. of course the door knocking is the most prevalent uh, and probably the most annoying because it's always at night. It's always between one thirty and one forty-five in the morning, and it's always seven knocks. And of course, there's never anyone there. Sounds a spirituality number as well. Mm, yes. That's right. uh, yeah. The, uh, the that was featured, I think, in in several of the TV shows. The door knocker. Um, it's on the in-law quarters, which is where Joe, the the, the young man that I rented the uh, in-law quarters to, where he lived. When Joe was here, the door was knocked on over 35 times that he recorded, and actually kicked open in on one occasion. But um, I can't say I don't notice things, but I, you know, it's just home now. And unless it's very, very overt, I, I don't, I don't see, I don't see things. Um, right. But the, now, let's go back to the man in the red shirt because he was seen by your wife and by Joe, your tenant, and. Right. Wasn't he identified? I thought that Joe and your wife were watching television and, and you, they were watching old, old news clips. 
and they saw his face. Is that true? Yes. The one of the victims, uh, actually one of the victims that was identified, was um, named in in an article, of course, and on, on television. And when my wife saw the the figure, she and I didn't know that she had done this either. She had actually she's a fairly good artist. She she sketched a little picture of him and what she had seen and and had put it away. Well, right after the seen this television footage, she went into the into her desk and pulled out this picture she had drawn and at the top of the picture she had written the name Alan. Well, Alan was in fact one of the victims. And it could be that's who it could be. Okay, so you never got the full name of this this man, just well, the possibility be, that it was, it was Alan. Well, his name was Roger Allen Goodlett and he Oh, you did Alan. get his name. Okay. Right. Now, how she knew it was Alan, she doesn't know. She just said something told her that was that was the man in the red shirt's name. But he was identified um, out of the total number of victims here, which is still not quite known. They know there were at least 11 for sure because they found 11 of these uh, – these first left metacarpal bones, so there's knew there's at least 11 left hands. But because of the sheer number of bones, there were over 5,500 bones and bone fragments found here. Jeez. The anthropologist who did all of the excavation here, he said if you if I wanted his opinion, his opinion was that there were between 17 and 20 here, hmm. of which they identified eight. Only eight. So oh my. Only eight. And and it has to go. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where these men that were killed were had no attachment to the city. They had no ties to the city, and he preyed on people he knew wouldn't be missed. Mm-hmm. And apparently, he would quiz them down extensively about their about their ties to the city. Do you have family here? Blah blah. And if you did, he'd leave you alone. Because he knew if you went missing, somebody would come looking for you. The other thing that sort of played into the difficulty in identifying is that DNA testing back in 96 was very expensive. It was around 1,200 a sample. So the state would, of course, test the bones that they had, uh, but a family member had to provide a sample. And as you can imagine, uh, $200 is a lot of money. So a lot of family members didn't have it. So it was a multitude of things that played into the lack of identification. But the main reason is that these people had no ties to the city, and their family members just just disappeared, which a lot of people do. Now, now that DNA is so much less expensive, I mean, if you look at 23andMe and Ancestry.com, the prices right. have come way, way down. Are there, is right. that still going on? Are people still trying to identify possible relatives that may have been murdered by this man? Well, to my knowledge, and, and unfortunately we still find bones there, uh, the, there isn't much being done, no. 
but but family members have to come forth. Yes, the the right. DNA testing is cheaper, but somebody has to come forth and say, hey, my brother, my father, my cousin is missing. Here's my DNA sample. Test it against your bones. Right. And uh, unfortunately, no one's doing that. Um, the, out of all the bones they found here, uh, they estimate they got 50%. Mm. The cruelest trick, aside from killing people, that the killer did was not burying anyone. He would literally put them into a mulch pile on the western side of the property, or he would just leave them on the ground in the woods. So animals scattered the remains all throughout the property, and I won't say it's impossible, but it's impractical to to continue searching. Um, when we find bones, I take them down to the university, and they're put in a box with all the others. You really do you wonder what the what the inner workings of this man's mind was all about to do something like well, this? Well, the FBI profiler that was called in on the case said the goal was probably never to kill anyone. He was in, this killer was into something called erotic asphyxia. And without going into it in too much detail, uh, there's a choking involved. Right. And at some point, someone died. And the FBI told me that after that, it became a compulsion or a habit. And he knew that after that, if you came up to the house, you were probably not going to leave. So I think it's an escalation where he he was dabbling in this lifestyle, and there was an accident. And then after that, uh, he he liked it, and it became a compulsion or a habit. Um, he had a, a dual life. Uh, I know people that know him or knew him. I knew people that grew up with him, uh, lived next door to him, went to school with him, and they always thought he was odd, but never believed he would be killing people and putting them in the backyard. But it's, yes, the human mind is uh, it's uh, deep and dark. Yeah, especially with him. And what about his parents? Were his parents still alive when he killed himself? His father was his father died in 1986, but his mother was still alive. Um, his uh, yes, his mother was still alive, and of course the the children and his wife were were still around. Right. I was just wondering if the parents could offer anything more, but I know this is such a horrific crime uh, situation that she may not have ever wanted to utter a word about it. Did she ever speak about it? Well, his mother, not that I'm aware of, she never, there's nothing in any media or reports that I ever saw. And I, I think there was probably, uh, she was she was elderly, and I think there was probably a concerted effort to try to isolate her from this. Mm-hmm. Now, um, his wife, of course, was still around, and, and they were victims as much as anyone. Oh, yeah. And her, her lawyer, who I, I happen to know, um, you know, told her immediately after all this came to light to to talk to anyone that would listen. Oprah, uh, People Magazine. He says, you know, you need to shout from the rooftops that you knew nothing about this. 
because it's it's rather hard to believe that this was going on, you know, under her nose. Yes. And in her defense, these serial killers are master manipulators. They manipulate everything in their lives. And uh, she's in the top ten serial killer wives list. You know, John Wayne Gacy, um, not Dahmer, but, uh, you know, these serial killers, uh, they typically have wives and are middle-aged white guys, unfortunately. Yeah, it's just so strange. Now, were any occult symbols ever found or ever related to this man? No, certainly um, not here at the house. Now, the when he killed himself in Canada, there was a story about the scene where he had killed himself, and it looked to be fairly well orchestrated, meaning uh, the sand where it was on the beach up in Pinery Provincial Park in, in Ontario, and it, it, he, it was sort of laid out rather ceremoniously and um, whether that was by accident or or by it looked ritualistic but beyond that no no there's never Mm -hmm. been any sort of uh, nothing like that no and then there was some talk you you referred to in the book about the fact that maybe he didn't kill himself that maybe it was someone else who did this well, he did in fact kill himself. I mean, there's there's no doubt about that. Um, there was some information about the possibility of an accomplice. Oh, okay. and that was that was given primarily by Tony Harris, the man that the man that got away or he wasn't killed because, mm-hmm. of course, Tony was plugged into that uh, lifestyle and, and the bars in downtown Indianapolis. And he knew who associated with who, and it was his theory that the killer did not operate alone. But there's no evidence of that. It's just speculation. Okay. It was just his own theory. I see. It, it well, is. how devastating for the entire family. I'm sure they had a lot of therapy ahead of them to try to get back to some kind of normal after this. Yes, uh, his wife and, and of course, the children, um, the girls, he had two girls and a son, and the girls, of course, were married now and have changed their names, and uh, his wife goes by her maiden name, and the son uses her maiden name now. Mm -hmm. How sad to go through all that, and to, Uh to have to deal with fear that people would learn who you were through the circumstances. Well, yes, and I, uh, you know, I, I I don't I don't call it guilt, but I I do have some uh, worry that I've made their lives harder than it needed to be because every time this is on television or in the press, I'm sure it it, it brings up bad memories. And but if I don't cooperate with either a television production or uh, articles, newspaper. The the story they're going to do it anyway. Exactly, yeah. and it could be a lot worse for the family if it were turned into a, a, a circus by other organizations. Well, but yes, and at least if I'm involved, I can control the facts. 
I, mm-hmm. I was kind of, I'm kind of a stickler about the facts of the case. There, that's one reason why we wrote the book was I wanted to make sure that the facts were correct because there's a lot of speculation, a lot of bad information on the internet, especially. But we didn't set out to certainly profit from this, and we didn't set out to make light of this. But if if I don't cooperate, um, I've had two requests this week alone from the Travel Channel uh, to do more shows. And if, if I don't if I don't participate, they're going to do it anyway. Right. Yeah. And, and at, at least I can. Uh, you have controls this way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can. I can keep the record straight. Right. That's very important. Yeah. It is. It really is because so much of what we see on television is dramatized or made up, and they want us to think it's what they really filmed, and it isn't. I mean, Paranormal Witness. I have to say, I I really love that series. I think they do a great job, and they don't do that kind of thing. And I think you would agree with me. You were very happy with what they did with your story, right? Yes. Uh, Paranormal Witnesses, out of all the, the productions that we've done, was, is probably my favorite, um, although it was not filmed here. And, of course, actors played our part, which... If that's the most surreal thing if you've never had anyone act portray you. It's, uh, it's uh, odd. Uh, but they did a very nice job, and uh, it, it was probably the best best one that we had, we had done. Yes, and that's I like that kind of thing when it's done as close to the story as they can possibly do it, and they're not trying to make up stuff and throw it at, at us, the viewing audience, and expect us to just uh, believe it. So that that was a very well-done show. And certainly everything that you're you're sharing with us is, is totally understandable and relatable. A lot of the things that you and your wife went through and your poor tenant there, Joe, uh, it's typical of poltergeist activity. It's starting with the vacuum cleaner that your wife was using in the pool area that <laughs> The plug kept getting right. pulled out, driving her nuts. I mean, that's typical and believable, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, and people often ask, how can you live there and this and that, and I, it, it's nothing bad. It, it's just periodically they want to let you know they're here. And I was told very early on to just periodically say, it's okay, you can go on. And maybe some of them have, um, at least according to the medium that comes around. He said the activity has 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 died down a bit. Well, they definitely have. Well, I think it helps a lot that your wife and you are so level-headed, because you didn't scare easily. Like, you looked for reasons why this is happening. You looked more thoroughly into the history of all of this. And you didn't do it with this hysteria that PK and I have often seen. You know, when people are excuse me, in an area that's haunted or they're living in a haunted house, they just freak out. And that seems to amp up everything, whereas you and your wife just kind of... You know, went ahead. Right. You know, with your your daily business, and um, and, right. and just proceeded on as business as usual. And we have this stuff going on. Right, and um, like I said, it was never threatening. 
Um, you know, she, as I said, she said that it was rather calming when she saw it and almost like she was meant to see it. Um, I, I do believe that some people have this ability to, to, to see, or in some cases, I guess, hear the spirits. Um, right. We had an, an interesting uh, happening. I mentioned that medium earlier that we've, we've come to know quite well. I was just out on the drive one afternoon and a car came down the drive and it was this, uh, it was a young man. And I, uh, I said, can I help you? And he says, do you live here? And I said, yes. He said, can I talk to you? And I said, about what? And he said, the spirits brought me here. Oh, and I said, sure. Why not? And this young man, um, said the spirits brought him here because, and I don't remember the exact verbiage that he used was, but it was something that the spirits were frustrated. We had people coming to the house were making contact with them, but they, they were not helping them move on. Uh, and of course I offered, you know, I said, well, can you help them? And he said, no, he couldn't. But um, I, it's, I, I don't know. I think some people have this ability, and I, I don't know what you want to call it, but uh, it's uh, they, they, the spirits seem to appear to these people they believe can help them. Mm-hmm. Apparently, I, I can't. But, well, it might be something that you want to talk to the Travel Channel about, is maybe they can bring somebody <laughs> in to the show. You know, make them do something worthwhile so that these people can move on. I think this gentleman had a valid... Valid point, and certainly right. he was uh, committed enough to contact you and tell you yeah. what he thought. And so, you know, Travel Channel has some pretty deep pockets, and they also have some good connections <laughs> with psychic mediums who can do this kind of work. Well, we were contacted. We were contacted recently by uh, the Dead Files. If you're familiar with that show, say that uh, one again. I you broke up a little files, bit. Right. The Dead Files. The Dead Files. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, and of course, their premise is that you have a problem that you need help with, and, and they're they're going to help you. Well, we we really don't see it as a problem, uh, right. and I certainly don't have the at least from the shows I've seen they've done. These people seem to be terrified, and I said I really don't think that we're right for you in that regard because we we don't really it as a problem exactly uh, exactly i think you're that was wise of you to give them that answer um you know there are other shows out there that can do better for you and 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 be true to who you are and the story yeah. that you have to tell because you're obviously somebody of integrity who does have some concern if there's a way to help these spirits then fine let's find the right person to do it So it's very interesting. Again, I just love the fact that you and your wife are so level-headed. It makes a world of difference in how you experience this phenomenon. Good for you. Well, um, we've we've had all the without with over the years. All we've had many psychics come here, and they all sort of describe what's happening in the same way. That when you die, your spirit makes a trip from this world where, or where you know where we are to wherever you're supposed to go, and that sometimes people that die violently get stuck between this world and mm-hmm. where they're supposed to go. Very and, true. Uh, 
we're Catholic, and I just happen to be watching a YouTube video of a of a Catholic priest who is the he is the um, exorcist for the Archdiocese of San Francisco, and he was answering questions from an audience, and someone in the audience said, "What about haunted houses?" And he described exactly in the same almost the same words what was happening just like the psychics, meaning that sometimes when you die violently, you don't know you're dead, and they get stuck, and they don't know to move on. And I guess being a somewhat religious person, it, it, it really validated what was happening. And oh, it, it just doesn't, yes. it doesn't, seem, doesn't seem bad, but um, that's just yeah, sort of our and- take on it. Yeah, I think that's that's a good one. And, you know, we've had Dr. Richard Gallagher on the show. I don't know if you're familiar with his work, but he's a an Ivy League-trained psychiatrist, board-certified for many years. Mm-hmm. He is the consultant to the Catholic Church on exorcism. And we've had him on the show, um, and and he was wonderful to talk to. Because of his training as a psychiatrist, He's probably one of the very few psychiatrists who can tell the difference between real possession, demonic activity, et cetera, and a mental illness. That, I mean, that's a right. skill I think very few people have. But when I think of this Herb Baumeister guy and his possible, probable, I should say, mental illness, you know, that mm-hmm. can attract some pretty, pretty powerful bad things. And that's the feeling I get with him, is that, yeah, he was conflicted. Yes, he was mentally ill. He had this division about wanting to be seen, not wanting to be seen, wanting to hide, not wanting anybody to know who he really was kind of thing. But that is attractive to the dark forces, and I do see that around him. You know, there was something. That's why I asked about occult symbols. Um, You know, the word Baphomet comes up. I don't think it was anything necessarily on the property, but those entities look for people like this that they can inspire to do terrible things. And what's so great is your family doesn't have a door open to that. So I can see where the phenomenon would start to de-escalate because there's nobody there that, that, that would ever take in this kind of demonic energy and have it uh, have it take over their lives or have it affect them as it may have affected or we'll no, never know for sure. But that's certainly one of the things that came to me as I was reading your very well-written book, uh, The Horrors of Fox Hollow Farm, that, you know, it is quite possible that something like that was involved because all of this was, as you mentioned, you know, the, the manipulation, the lying, the... Um, the the horrible way that he attracted his victims and and then just left them out in in the wilderness to be taken apart by animals. I mean, it, it's just an it's a well thought out strategy to not get caught until the end. Right. Um, he he made a comment to uh, Tony uh, because one of the times Tony was up here, he said. Um, I'm going to go to the police. I know you're hurting people. Mm-hmm. And the killer looked right at him and said, no one's going to believe anyone like you. Wow. And un- un- unfortunately, he was correct. Um, you know, the police will tell you that Tony was just not a very good witness. 
Um, but uh, eventually he did help, you know, bring a, at least some closure to the case um, by by bringing it, you know, to the authorities. Right. I mean, you got to give Tony some credit, I guess, because of the fact that he did try to uh, provide evidence. He did get the license plate number. He did at least get the police to find the right location of the farm. Yes. Is that, as you were saying, he, there were so many farms out your way, it was hard to know which one Tony was talking about. It, yes, it was It was pretty rural back then. It's it's not so much that way now. Matter of fact, if, if people come here and visit, the first thing they'll notice are the houses, the, the neighborhoods that are so close to us, and they how could he do this and get away with it? Well, it wasn't like that. Right. Very, very rural back then. And uh, Tony had, he just said it was not, it was dark. And I, I saw the, the sign when I pulled in, it said something farm, but that's, that's all he had. And that just wasn't enough. No. And now what about these neighborhood kids who did find the bones? I mean, did any of them ever right. come forward and say, we saw something besides the bones? You saw him doing something? No, never saw him doing anything, but what was happening at the western edge of the property where I mentioned the mulch pile, this was the theory from the police that this is the first spot on the property he was dumping the bodies. And behind this uh, mulch pile is a creek, and the animals were dragging the remains, the bones, down into the creek. Well, he was careful not to allow any skulls to be left around because, you know, human skull is very easily recognizable as human. And he could probably dismiss the other bones as animal bones, which we do have coyote and fox and raccoons and things. But the kids in the, it's not the neighborhood. It was actually a farm next door. It was very well known. There was a lot of bones in that Creek. And when the police finally came here back in 96, these same kids came over very inquisitively and said, what are you looking for? And they said, well, this is a crime scene. We're looking for human remains. And they said, like bones? And, of course, oh the authorities said, yes. They said, well, all the bones are over in the creek. <laughs> they and knew. that's where the anthropologists, they knew. But, Incredible. But out of all the bones that they found, they never found the skulls. And what did you do with them? Well, as I said, the the, the skull is very human skull. He could not dismiss that as anything but. And um, we we believe they're out here somewhere. They just we just have never found them. My goodness, what a big help that would be, though, in identifying how many people were actually killed. And um, because I think you said it was possibly up to fifty people, right? Right. Well, at our at our, on our property, it was the the estimate is between 17 and 20. But if you add in what is known as the I-70 killings, the number could be as high as 50. God, he could be one of the but most prolific serial killers in the country. But of course, it, it isn't in the forefront of the public's mind like some of the other cases, like John Wayne Gacy or Jeffrey Dahmer, because. He was never brought to trial, and of course, it was yeah. never drugged through the media. Right. That's why it's a relatively obscure, uh, at least nationally, maybe not locally, but nationally. Yes. Yes. Oh my goodness. Now, 
To go back to some of the other poltergeist activity that you've all experienced, one of the things that really caught my attention was the door knocker. Can you tell that story about how it ended up in midair? <laughs> well, yeah, that that was that was really Joe's um, the, Joe's experience that when the door was actually kicked open one night and uh, the door had swung open after repeated knocking, and when the door came open, the knocker, which is a heavy horse head, it's a horse head knocker very heavy, uh, not easily manipulated by wind or anything like that. And the knocker was vertical. And when the door came open, there was a pause, he said, and then the door knocker came down very, very hard against the the door. Um, and uh, he said that that activity, it was, it was sort of an escalation of activity in that apartment. Um and he had really considered leaving, but he, he didn't relate a lot of this to us until later. And I don't know oh. if you thought, once again, a lot of people, you know, will think you're crazy if you bring up things like this. And I think he was a little reluctant, but a lot of people believe he was the trigger. He, he when he got here, um, he had something in common with the victims, um, and he was sharing a space where they you know, once were, and uh, they they made themselves known to him, you know, quite a lot. Yeah, they sure did. I mean, they were pounding on that door so many times in the middle of the night, and he had a dog that was growling and, and barking at <laughs> right. all these things that he could not see. Um, but then there was right. one night that he actually did see a face, a terrified face come to his door, right? Right. Uh, he believes it was a, a victim that was 17 years old. Oh, um, he had he had seen the photos uh, or a photo of the victim in a newspaper article, and he believed it was the same person. And um, he saw it in the apartment, and the the the, the figure was was actually running, uh, like away from something. And he believed it was a, 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 a victim that happened to be about 17 years old. It's just so sad. And, you know, but it's interesting, too. This is another point I wanted to make about your story with all of this, because the victims that were seen walking or running through the woods or banging on this door, I mean, I wonder, was he chasing these victims down, Baumeister? Was, because a lot of them, I thought, were strangled in the pool yeah no you know everyone that was killed presumably came up here willingly mm-hmm. they he would meet them in the bars he would invite them up to the house for a swim we have an indoor swimming pool which i guess is a novelty it's not to us anymore but uh uh to to, to some people yeah i'd like to come up and swim in an indoor pool so he wasn't mm-hmm. banging them on the head and dragging them up here everyone came here willingly Right. So the you know it's part of it is the the, the lifestyle or the or the way things were going on back then in in the gay community and um these guys were just thought they were going on a date, I guess. Yeah, and so they didn't fight back necessarily, but no. they were running through your no. property, they were banging on Joe's door. 
So maybe that was after the fact that they realized that uh, they had been murdered. I don't know, but that's just a horrible thing, the whole the whole process. And <clears throat> some of the other things that you experience to this day, you said, are very innocuous. So you, you still hear the knocking sometimes. Um, has Joe moved out? Oh, yeah. Joe, Joe's been gone for quite a while. Um, but he, if he comes here... Um, he, uh, we've had when some of the productions are here, they'll use these spirit devices, these voice boxes, and things like that. He he's almost like a lightning rod for it. He can get no kidding the spirits oh to 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 uh, almost on command. You know, uh, so Joe is kind of a. I think he he must be sensitive, but uh, we think he's the one that started the whole thing. Yeah, and as we were discussing before we got on the air, he is similar in age to uh, some of the men, I'm sure, that were were drawn up there. So that could have been part of it, too, that they find attractive about him. Like he would understand or he would, you know, try to help them in some way. Boy, God bless him. But he lived there for a while amidst all of this, huh? (laughs) Two and a half years. Yeah, he was here two and a half years. Um, That's a long time to last through all of this door pounding and door exploding and visions and everything yeah. else. Gosh, he's a pretty brave yeah. guy. Oh, my goodness. So yeah, he, he, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. No, I, I'm done. Uh, he's, he, he was a trooper. He was a trooper. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think a brave so. Woman. And he's a good witness, too, because, you know, as they were recounting his his words and his story, it all was very logical. It all made a lot of sense. I mean, again, all of you had a very level head about this. And it sounds like he was frightened the most because of everything was so startling in the middle of the night. Who wants to be awakened by something pounding on the door and you open the door and there's nothing there? I mean, this is a very startling and shocking kind of thing to go through. Well, it was certainly much more overt with him. Um, it's been always a little more subtle with the rest of us. Now, William, my youngest, who who lives in when he's home from school in that same apartment now, has experienced the door knocking, and you know he's he's uh, woken me up in the middle of the night. You know, it's usually always like I said between one thirty and one forty-five, and there's never, of course, anyone there. And he'll hear the footsteps on the kitchen floor in there, like Joe used to hear. Um, why the apartment is so active, we're not we're not positive. Um, there's no evidence anyone was killed in there, uh, not like the pool room. But, right. Uh, it's, it seems to be somewhat active. He may have entertained people there away from the eyes of his wife and his children, too. Okay. Well, interesting you should say that. I, I did meet um, his, I guess you would call him hair, hairstylist or, or not a barber, more than that. Um, I met this fella, and he said that he was always inviting him up, and uh, they would go up to the apartment and what he called, would, would say, party, whatever that is. Oh, okay. And um, those guys went home, but if you went to the basement, you, you didn't go home. Oof. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. This whole thing is just is so spooky. And, again, I, I commend you and your wife and Joe for keeping a level head through all of it. But it's so sad for the victims that are still left behind. And, and hopefully you can get somebody up there 
you know, a good psychic medium to help them find their way home after this horrible yeah. experience that just kept them trapped in the darkness. But, oh, my goodness, so this is just remarkable. Yeah. Well, will you please promise to keep us posted on any new airings about the okay. story so we can let our audience know if you're going to be on sure. the Travel Channel or History or, or whomever you end up with. We would love to pass the word for you on this. Okay, we sure will. Well, thank you so much. This has been great, Robert. What a fascinating story and a great book, everybody. We want to encourage you to get this one, The Horrors of Fox Hollow Farm. What a great book to read aloud on Halloween. <laughs> yeah. there, this is, yes, highly recommend this it's, book. This it is going to audio very quickly. Uh, the publisher, I guess, uh, it's going to go to audio book very quickly, so that will be available. Oh, be nice. good. Excellent. Again, the name of it is The Horrors of Fox Hollow Farm. Be sure to pick up a copy or pick up the audio when that's available. And until next week, everybody, uh, we'll see you on the Blue Highway. We've got another great show coming up for you next Wednesday. Be sure to tune in. So until then, everybody, happy Halloween and good night. Thank you. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural.